Hey church family, my name is Maggie Stansberry and this summer I had the privilege of interning under Miss Christina Butts and I was in the children's ministry. So my next steps after this are I'm planning on going back up to Liberty University and pursuing a degree in communications with a minor in biblical studies and I really hope to go into vocational ministry, um, some form of ministry I really feel called towards that. Some of my favorite moments from this summer were just the small moments of getting to connect with your children and having really intentional conversations with them. Two of the most impactful things that I'm taking away from this internship, one of them comes from something that Hux would always pour into us interns, and he said this little line, and it goes, uh, intimacy before ministry. That is something that I'm really going to take with me and uh, just implement it into the rest of my walk, really, and my time here in ministry and on earth serving the Lord. Another thing that was super impactful to me was something that Miss Christina really poured into me and Anna, which was obedience. And just the advice that she poured into us through different situations and circumstances that we walked through together, that we faced with one another through the summer uh, within children's ministry and just life in general, she really just taught me a lot about being obedient to the Lord's leading and to where the Spirit is guiding you and directing you. So there's a ton of people that I would really love to thank. The Drew Davis State Farm Agency, uh, just the way that you guys were so sacrificial in providing us interns the opportunity to be here, to learn, to grow, and compensating us for that, that's something that I know I have benefited greatly from. Another person I would really love to thank is Miss Allison, because without her reaching out, without her pointing out qualities that she saw in me, I definitely wouldn't be here right now, and I definitely wouldn't have grown the ways that I've grown this summer and just learned so many things about myself in ministry. Hey, Heritage family, it's Braxton Butts. Uh, I was a youth intern this summer under Hux. I just want to thank you guys for a great summer, and uh, I'll be attending Southeast University in the fall, studying ministerial leadership. Uh, my favorite thing I did this summer was being able to preach a message to the youth at a youth event. And one thing I did learn this summer is that ministry is not always sunshine and rainbows, but it is okay because God is great through it all. Hey guys, my name's Landon and this summer I got to intern under Michael Hux as a part of the youth ministry. Going forward, I'm going to be continuing taking classes at Lake Sumter State College. My favorite part of the summer was probably our night of worship that we had for the youth group. I got to witness God and be in His presence in a different way. My biggest takeaway of this summer was probably being faithful in the little. Heritage family, I just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and appreciate all that you guys have done for me and all the prayers that you have prayed over me. My name is Caleb Windham and this summer I had the honor of interning as a worship intern under Brian Broom. Uh, my future plans are to attend Southeastern University for the next two years to get my bachelor's degree in worship studies and uh, then either start a career in worship ministry or go back for my master's to get ordained. My favorite part of the summer was the last night of youth camp. We just had a super intimate time with the Lord as a youth group and just seeing the way that His Spirit and His presence moves when we remove all the walls, barriers in our lives, and just the way that God can touch our hearts and overwhelm us with His Spirit and His power is just incredible to see and I'll remember that for years to come. I would say that the two most important things I learned this summer, um, I couldn't choose just one, but the first one is that no matter if I see it or not, that work that, that people do in ministry, the work that youth leaders pour into, that worship leaders pour out, um, that just because we don't see the evidence of our work right away doesn't mean that it's not being done. The other thing that I learned that's most important is that 
people fail, but God will never fail. I can't put people on pedestals. I have to put God in his right place. And if I put God in his right place and have my eyes up and not on the storm, then he's gonna get me through every time. Heritage family, uh, words cannot describe how thankful I am. Y'all have given me nothing but love. You give me grace when I messed up. You've uplifted me, you've given me opportunities, you've given me a platform. I'm so incredibly thankful that God has put all of you in my life. I've had so many people throughout the years have poured into me, given me wisdom, made me the man I am today. So Heritage family, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the past six years. I couldn't imagine a better place and uh, I love you all. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Anna Brock and I was an intern under Christina Butts this summer. My future plans are that I'm about to go to Liberty University and I'm going to study music and worship and then minor in psychology. My favorite part about this summer was watching the kiddos grow in Christ and just growing my relationship with all of them. And then another fun little part that I had was definitely the boat trip that we took on the lake. Some really important things that I did learn this summer from Miss Christina especially was how to be obedient in difficult times and just remain in prayer throughout everything. And that was just really important to me. I just wanna say thank you so much to Miss Christina for being the best leader ever in the whole wide world. You're my favorite person. And I'm so thankful for the staff that we have because y'all are awesome. Thank you. Hey y'all, Adam Westgate here. I was the media intern under Brian Broon this summer and I just was so, so thankful for this opportunity. In, in the fall, I will be going off to Liberty to study camp and outdoor leadership. But before I do that, I just wanna let you know some of my favorite things from this summer. One thing was that I got to go off to Center Kid and just hang out with the kids, have a great time, and just watch God work through them. And then something I learned this summer was that ministry isn't always about the title that you have. It isn't always about what you're doing, but it's about serving God with a true servant's heart. And I really just enjoyed learning that. Not always, sometimes that's just a really hard pill to swallow, but it was such a valuable one to learn. And I am forever thankful for that. So thank you all for letting me do this. And just, yeah, praise God. Interns, why don't you come on stage with me, Michael? Well, the interns, come on up here just for a second. Y'all have been a great blessing. Great blessing. We're missing Maggie. Maggie ended up having to go back to school this past week because she's an RA and and uh, she had some duties there at Liberty, and, uh, but I told her we would hold the fort down for her while she was gone. But we are so thankful for you. Um, there are some things that we want to be able to give you guys. And uh, um, make sure I... Florida State tickets. And so... Uh, The only thing I want to say is that you guys have been a great blessing and that you have filled the gap in many areas that we've been really weak this summer. You guys have been incredible. And um, I want to make sure that when you see these guys, you hug their neck and tell them how thankful we are. This, you, you guys aren't the future, you are the now. And uh, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your faithfulness. And we just wanted to pray over you. Obviously, we're doing this twice, this service and the next service. 
But I just asked Michael if he would pray, and uh, then we'll get into our service time today. But we just had to stop to say thank you. And this is your last. So tonight, basically, you're done after see you at the, you know, see you at the school. And after we go to our schools to pray, you'll be done with your time. But I know that you won't be done with Jesus and serving him and loving and making a difference and an impact um, for Christ. So, Mike, would you pray with us today? The quietest week would be next week. It's really weird. It's one of the weeks that I don't enjoy is next week. I'm going to miss y'all. Love y'all. There's actually Disney tickets in there. But anyway, let me pray. <laughs> Jesus, what a joy it is to be a part of a church that wants to equip people, wants to release people, wants to show people what ministry is all about. Sometimes the good, bad, and ugly of ministry. And God, I'm grateful for these interns this summer who have been so faithful, whether it's in the small or the big things of ministry, who've served you with gladness, served you with joy. And God, we just pray for them as many of them head off to college or head into the workplace. God, you name it, that they would take away most importantly that the relationship with you is the most important thing, that everything should flow out of that. But God, I pray that we just take the little things that they learn to be salt and light and where they're going. God, I pray it's given them more of a hunger for you and your presence and God, a hunger for your church and to be more involved in the local body, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. God, we're just so grateful that they were willing to say, hey, I'm available. God, use me in whatever capacity you want to use me. God, thank you again for just an incredible summer with these young adults and students. God, we love you. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Proverbs chapter 9. Thanks, Mike. And while you're doing that, I want to introduce you guys to a dear friend of mine and his wife who are with us this morning, uh, Mr. Bobby Rowe and his wife, Rona. Um, Bobby, would you stand, please? Rona, would you stand? Bobby is the director. Bobby is the director of North Lake um, Ministries for FCA. And Bobby, we are, we've partnered with Bobby, have known, walked with him, walked alongside. That's my brother of a different color, of a different mama, but the same daddy right there. Okay? Uh, I love his heart. I love his heart for Jesus. I love his heart for the community. And I am blessed to be able to call him a friend and a partner in ministry. And we are forever grateful for you and what you, what you do. Remember tonight, back to school prayer, an opportunity for us to gather at schools to pray. More than 100 schools will be covered here in Central Florida, in Lake and Sumter and in counties and beyond. And we're very thankful for that opportunity to gather on those campuses and prayer and pray. The funnel is not the church as it once was. The funnel is schools. And we need to be as active as we can on school campuses. This past week, we had the opportunity of uh, feeding our teachers here at Fruitland Park as they got prepared to go back to school, and we will continue to be supportive. Next week, you'll learn a little bit more about Project Generosity and what's happening. Our goal here will be $1,000 to raise. As a community, we are, we are working together to raise $15,000, but we'll talk to you more next week and what that'll go for. Um, are you, have you had a great week? But it's going to be even a greater week when the kids go back to school, right? 
I got some ringing going on in my ears, so I think you guys can fix that at some point in time until we get these new, new speakers up. But anyway, turn to, to Proverbs chapter 9, and while you're turning to Proverbs chapter 9, let me just say, uh, say this in, in reference to, uh, uh, there was some studies that were done, some research that were done, and they said that out of the research, um, the average person made about 70 decisions. This one researcher said the average person makes about 70 decisions a day in, um, in, their, in their life, 70 decisions, 70 decisions a day. There's another researcher that came back and said, well, it wasn't 70 decisions, but more like 120 decisions a day that we make. Are you with me? You know, what you're going to eat, when you're, what you're going to wear, when you're going to get up, all these types of things, whether or not you're going to answer the phone, put the phone down. Well, let's just say for let's just say for for good times sake, let's just make it a hundred. Let's just say that we all um, make a hundred decisions a day over the course of a year. That's how many how many decisions? Three hundred thirty six thousand five hundred decisions a year. Let's just say that we take that over the over the course of a lifetime. Let's say seventy years at thirty six thousand five hundred um, a year. That would be two point five million, give or take one or two. Is that right? Is that right? Am I good in my math? Some of you guys are trying to keep up with me. Um, and you know, some of the decisions that we make have moral implications, while others may not necessarily have moral implications, but some of the decisions we make have moral implications. Whether or not do we lie, do we not lie? Do we tell a white lie? Do we tell a big lie? Do we tell a little lie? Are you, are you with me? Are we on the same page? Do I cheat on my taxes? Do I not cheat on my taxes? Do I confess my sins to another person? Do I not confess my sins and continue to live in the dark? Should I make that comment on social media? Should I not make that comment on social media? Do I honor my employee? Do I not honor my employee and just goof off and do enough to get by? Do I believe that God's word is true? Do I accept the invitation to follow him? Or do I choose to just push it off and say it's really not that big of a deal and ignore it? But this is what I want you to hear today. Really, this is a very important thought is that every decision that we make is an important decision. And every decision that we make in life, what it does is it sets a pattern for the direction that we will all head. Not only here on this earth and what takes place here, but also for eternity. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we're going to learn today is our decisions will determine our direction. Um, in other words, every choice that we make, every decision that we make, points us in the direction that we're headed. And every one of us, regardless if you know it or not, you're charting a course for your future. You're setting sail in a specific direction. And so having said that, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9 today, and we're going to look at really uh, what would be a story of, of two, two people, two different characters that we find, a picture that's been painted. But before we talk about that, let's remind ourselves who the main contributor of Proverbs is. There are several different contributors to the writing of Proverbs, but the one main contributor is a man by the name of who? Yes, who had sons, specifically a son. And we find Solomon, a father here, wanting to teach his son the importance of living right and making wise choices. And the instructions that we see within inside the, the walls, the, the writings of Proverbs are no different than the same teachings that I want to teach my children, the same teachings of what my father wanted to share with me when I was growing up. And what we find here inside of the writings in Proverbs chapter 9 is a story or a picture of, of two women, two women uh, that are competing for the affection of the son, one whose name is wisdom, the other whose name is 
folly. And let's just say for, for, for picture's sake that one is on one side of the street, the other is on the other side of the street. They're outside their homes. They're offering an invitation for those that are passing by to come, come in and, and have a feast in their home to enjoy the banquet that's been prepared for them. And we're going to start off today with Lady Wisdom, and we're going to look at Lady Wisdom and the invitation that she, and, that she, that she gives. We're going to look at that in verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to move over in, chap- in verses 13 through 18 in chapter 9, and we're going to look at the invitation that Lady Folly brings, and then we're going to go back to the middle in those passages of Scripture, verses 7 through 12, to answer a couple of questions that I think are really important. Let's look at some of the differences between the two persons and their invitations, their character. And let's start off with Lady Wisdom there, beginning in verses 1 through 6. But before we do that, can we just pause for a moment to pray? Jesus, this is a great day. Incredible time of singing and worshiping and praising you. A time of seeing where two people have come saying that I want to choose the invitation to follow Jesus. I want to trust Jesus and I want to give my life to him and the acknowledgement of that through baptism and this, us being able to recognize some students on this stage that have been faithful, that feel that God is at work in their lives. And Lord, it's no different from those of us that are here in this room today, recognizing and believing that you're at work. We don't take anything for granted. And God, I pray that you'd give us a set of ears today to hear not anything that I would say, but the Holy Spirit would be very active in this room, teaching us, instructing us, helping us to learn and to grow and to mature in our faith. May our hearts be willing to hear. May we be ready to listen and willing to obey as well as respond today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start off in uh, verses 1 to 6, and let's look and see at the invitation that Lady Wisdom offers. And the first thing that I want you to write down is this. Accepting Lady Wisdom's invitation leads to fulfillment and contentment. In other words, when we choose the invitation that Lady Wisdom will offer, what it does is is it offers us the opportunity to experience peace of mind. And it seems like there are two dimensions in both sides of these stories that we're going to see today. Two, two, two different dimensions, the here and the now, the present as well as the future. Well, let's just begin with the here and now and write this down. Wisdom promises an abundant life here on this earth. And look at what he says in the first two verses. Let's begin there in chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. Now, I don't know an awful lot of women builders, but I do know some women builders and but Lady Wisdom isn't just a normal woman. This lady here, she is industrious. She's hardworking. She's productive. And it says here that Lady Wisdom has built a house so big that it's supported by seven pillars. To help us understand the importance of the pillars, I think there are some ancient documents that go back and talk about the importance of pillars and, and what it meant. It meant that this would have been a big house, a very large house, probably owned by a person of wealth. And in her home, it, she would have not only been wealthy, but this house would have been so big that it, would have been, it wouldn't have been unusual for her to have large gatherings of people. In the center of that house was probably a, a gathering space, a court where many people could gather. And those pillars that, that were represented that are talked about would have, would have created that space so that it would have been a, a, a space for people to gather. And that would have provided the roof for that courtyard. Archaeologists suggest 
And those in historians suggest that a wealthy person would have had three pillars in their home. But here we see where Lady Wisdom has seven pillars in her home. It could be actually seven pillars or it could just be a metaphor um, for completeness or perfection. But then again, it might be a, a clue for Lady Wisdom in the fact that what she offers that she, that, that she doesn't lack anything in resources, that this lady here would have owned the cattle on a thousand hills, if you understand what I'm saying. She would have been the hostess with the mostess, and her guests would have lacked for nothing. Her home was spacious. There would have been plenty of room for people to gather to accept the invitation that she was going to offer. And in the sight of this enormous home, look at what it goes on to say that was in that house. It said in verse 2, she has prepared a great banquet mixed with wines and she has set the table. And so here we see Lady Wisdom, she's gone to great lengths to prepare this incredible banquet with no expense being spared. She set the table with the best of foods and wines. It reminds me of family reunions. I don't know if we still have family reunions anymore, but, but there was no food that was bought from the store, if you know what I'm saying. It all come out of the garden. It come off the tree. Everything was homemade. It was the sweetest of lemonade because it was freshly squeezed. The pies, out of this world. Out of this world. Man, I'm getting hungry sitting here thinking about it. <laughs> Everything was prepared with love and care. And in the preparations, we see the attention to detail so that wisdom can extend and offer fulfillment and contentment and abundant life. Wisdom offers all kinds of benefits when we choose to accept the invitation. Listen to some of these benefits that we've learned up until this time, up until chapter 9 and, and, and even following. Proverbs chapter 2, wisdom helps us perceive what's right and good. It saves us from that which is evil. Proverbs 3, we see where wisdom offers peace of mind and joy and that wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. And it brings life to those who embrace her. Chapter 4, we see where wisdom provides protection. Chapter 5, we see where wisdom gives discernment to those who are willing to receive it. In chapter 6, we see where wisdom provides salvation. In chapter 8, wisdom helps us exercise caution. In chapter 11, wisdom helps us position our hearts to lean into humility and to be teachable, as well as help us navigate relationships. And here in chapter 9, verse 11, we're going to find that in just a little bit, we're going to see where wisdom multiplies the days of our lives and, and years. And without a doubt, there's, there's benefits. There's benefits. Wisdom benefits are good and they're right. They're beneficial. And it leads to fulfillment. It leads to contentment. It leads to, to peace. Not just here, not just here and in the now, but also we're going to see in verses 3 to 6, Wisdom also provides fulfillment and satisfaction in the days ahead. You might want to write this down. Wisdom produces everlasting life. We see that in verses 3 to 6. So we see the table being set. Everything has been prepared. The feast has been prepared. And now Lady Wisdom prepares to, uh, to, to provide an invitation to anybody that's willing to receive and accept that invitation to join her at her table. Look at what it says there in verse 3. She sent out her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. More than likely, this is a reference to Jerusalem, walking up to the top of the mountain to send her messengers out so that they could offer an invitation so the invitation could be heard by anyone and everyone that was willing to listen. To go to the highest of places so that the multitudes could hear 
and they could accept that invitation to join her at her table. And look at what he goes on to say about the invitation in verses 4 and 5. Come in with me, she urges the simple to those who lack good judgment, she says. In verse 5, come, eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. I think it's really important to go back here and see who the invitation was extended to. Who does it say? To the simple, to the naive, to those who lack judgment. And what are the expectations of those that received the invitation? Was there a dress code? No, no dress code. Requirements? No requirements. Nothing. No prerequisites. There wasn't a cover charge. Not even an RSVP. But it was an invitation to come as you are. It was an invitation of grace. But when and if you accept that invitation to join Lady Wisdom, to that invite to come to her home, this is one of the things that I want you to note, that you're no longer called simple or naive. And we know that because look at what it says in verse 6. It says, leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. See, because when we choose Lady Wisdom's invitation, what we're in essence saying is we're saying no to our simple ways. We no longer desire to be led by the influence of others who are simple or foolish. But to say yes to Lady Wisdom's invitation, to say yes is to say no to what Lady Folly will offer. And the encouragement that Lady Wisdom gives that we see in these first few verses is to turn from the simple, from the foolish, and come to me. Because when we do, what Lady Wisdom says is there's rest, there's comfort, there's peace, there's satisfaction, there's fulfillment. And so already there's, there's going to be two women that we're going to see. We're seeing Lady Wisdom to begin with. Two women, though, that are battling for the affections of the king's son. Two women that are offering invitations. One, an invitation of abundant life. But what about the other one? Let's look over now to verses 13 to 18, and let's see if we see a contrast to Lady Wisdom's invitation. Now looking at Madam Folly or Lady Folly. And look at what we see in these next passages. When we accept the invitation of Folly, it leads to sorrow and death. And just like the invitation from Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly's invitation is two-dimensional as well. It's the here and the now as well as the future. Not just what takes place now, but what's to come. And I want you to write this down. What Lady Folly offers promises emptiness and chaos. See, that's what Lady Folly offers, emptiness and chaos and confusion. And believe it or not, it's the best that she has. It's the best that she can offer. And look at what the wise father has to say about Lady Folly and her invitation, beginning with me there in verse 13. The woman named Folly is, this is how he characterizes her. She's brash, she's ignorant, and she doesn't even know it. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Unlike Lady Wisdom, her preparation and the expense that she's gone to, Madam Folly is loud, she's brash, she's ignorant, she's seductive, she's deceitful, and she, doesn't, she lacks morals. She might come across in her communication that she is confident because of her personality, but don't be a fool by her appearance. Because her beauty, it's only skin deep. That word folly actually means shameful. It means, it means um, 
It means to lack sense. It means foolishness. In the English word, we could say stupid. She's stupid. Folly only cares about one person, and it's herself. She's slick, she's conniving, she's shady. She's a salesman that's mastered her craft. It's like an Eskimo sailing ice, prompting you to make a purchase that you thought may have been good up front, only to realize a little bit later on you'd been duped. It's like buying a vehicle and you think you've got something, only to lift up the hood to find you didn't get what you thought you bought. And it's really of no use. And now, after accepting the invitation, you're full of shame because you followed her lead and because you trust her. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 14 and 15. She sits in her doorway of the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. So unlike Lady Wisdom, who spent numerous amounts of time preparing for her guest, sending out messengers to invite anyone who would be willing to come and listen and accept that invitation, look at what Madame Folly's doing. Look at her position. Look at where she's seated at. Instead of being virtuous and hardworking, Lady Folly is lazy. She's deceitful. She waits for potential victims, first that are weak and preoccupied at her beauty and that which she promises. And so we got this picture of business of people moving around, passing by, except for one person, Lady Folly. And what's she doing? She's sitting on the porch of the residence trying to attract those that she can grab their attention, those that she can catch their eye, those that are looking, that are seeking for something. And to those that stop and pay attention, she says, come on, come in with me. I've got something for you. Come on in and look at what it says in verse 16 and 17. Come in with me, she urges the simple, to those who lack good judgment. She says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. And so we see Lady Folly offering somewhat the same of an invitation that Lady Wisdom did. That both are calling out for the simple and naive to come. Both are reaching out to the same clientele. But with this invitation, we can definitely see that there's a battle going on between two sides. Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. A battle for attention as well as a battle for allegiance. And just as Lady Wisdom had a feast prepared with choice meats and wines and, and, and elegant place settings, I want you to look at what's on the menu of Lady Folly. Look at what it says, bread and water and stolen water at that. Bread eaten in secret. And before you get lost in the middle of this, let me just say that, that these are references to the sins of life that might bring excitement and taste good taste and taste good for a moment. But there's no real substance to it. There's nothing sustaining that's only temporary at best. And yet, how many people are dining at the table of folly not knowing that Lady Wisdom offers so much more? So much more. How many people are consumed with themselves and the pleasures that they don't even recognize the path that they're on that's actually leading to destruction? See, what they're tasting is sweet right now, but they don't understand that at the end it turns to bitterness. It turns to death. They don't see it because they're blinded by the momentary pleasures. 
They don't see it because they have an uncontrollable appetite. And yet, how many people have chosen that path? How many people choose the path? Because at that moment, it seems what's right. It seems what's best. It seems what's easiest. And to accept that invitation of folly, maybe you're beginning to hear this, but it only leads to a hollowness, an emptiness, and eventually producing everlasting death. Whereas the invitation of wisdom produces life, the invitation of folly eventually leads to death. And look at what he says in verse 18. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. See, you can't see it. You really can't see it. Because her home is really not a home. Her home is really a cemetery. That's what it is. Sure, the table and the meal have been prepared. It's sweet. It looks good to begin with only for a short amount of time. See what folly meant for good removes what she does is she takes away all the boundaries. She entices us. She twists and she distorts to make that which looks good even taste sweeter. But it's only in an effort to deceive us. What Madame Folly doesn't tell her guest is that death is just around the corner. And you can't see it. But as you're walking on that path, you're getting closer and closer and closer. The fool or the simple have no idea what they're getting themselves into when they accept that invitation to feast at her table. What Madame Folly doesn't tell them is that she's leading them down the wrong path. She doesn't want them to know that. So there's this huge discrepancy between Lady Wisdom, what she offers, and Lady Folly. Wisdom promises that abundant life, that satisfying life, Whereas folly promises only suffering and pain, eternal emptiness and death. And the question, I guess, is to think and to understand that every path that we're on begins with a step. A step. And every choice that we make has eternal complications. Every choice that we make has eternal implications. And so maybe you're at this point right now and you're asking the question, well, how, how in the world do I know which path that I'm on? I mean, is there a way for me to tell which, which direction that I'm, I'm headed? Is there a way to determine, is there a test of sorts? Well, let's go back and look quickly at verses 7 to 12 and let's see what we see here in these passages. And there are two questions that I think that we can ask ourselves to help us determine which path we're on. And the first question, you might want to write this down. How do I respond? How do I respond to godly correction? Look at what he says in verse 7. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return, and anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. Let me read that for you again. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. In other words, when someone gives correction and love for the purpose of helping us grow, and we end up rebelling against that correction and we refuse that correction and we don't want to ex accept it, it's a pretty good indicator that you're on the wrong path. It's, it's a pretty good indicator that you're on the path of folly. 
Instead of embracing authority and correction, you rebel against it. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 8 and 9. So don't bother correcting mockers, for they only hate you, but correct the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. On the other hand, when we respond to godly correction with humility and love, it's a sign that we're on the right path, that we're moving in the right direction, that we desire to hear and to receive that which Lady Wisdom has. And so the first question I think it's important to ask as we ask ourselves which path are we on is how do we respond to correction? How do you respond to it? That's question one. What about the second question? You can write this down. How do I relate to God? Look at verses 10 and following. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you'll be the one to suffer. So let's go back to verse 10, which to me is sort of a summary. It's sort of a focal passage for all of all of Proverbs, not only this passage here in verse 10, but also if we go back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think these are very big, very important passages throughout Proverbs, key passages. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom begins with having a personal relationship with God. And I'm not talking about knowing about him. You know that. I'm not talking about whether or not, whether or not you, you do certain religious things, you carry out certain religious activities. The Bible says even the devils tremble, tremble at the mention of Jesus' name. But what I'm asking you is, do you know him personally? Wisdom belongs to God. Wisdom belongs to a person. And Proverbs isn't talking about human wisdom. It's not talking about our intellect. It's not talking about our understanding or our thoughts or our ways. Yet Proverbs is talking about divine wisdom, God's wisdom, wisdom that flows out of a loving, intimate relationship with God. And when we choose to accept that invitation to come and to place our trust in him, when we choose to accept the invitation of wisdom, what we're doing is we're choosing to accept the invitation of a person because wisdom is more of a who than it is a what. But if that's so, who is the who? It's our Heavenly Father. In the New Testament, there's a clear picture that's painted for us when Paul was speaking in 1 Corinthians when he was talking to the church there in verse 24 in verse chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians when he said, but to those who called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. Jesus is wisdom wrapped up in the flesh. In other words, to accept the invitation of Lady Wisdom is to accept Jesus, to accept Jesus and all that he offers as Lord and Savior. On the other hand, to not is to accept the invitation of folly, to reject Jesus, to turn your back on wisdom. So what if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus? What if you're here today um, and, and you, you want to know um, that, that if what I'm reading here is true 
And if, and if it's been perfected in the form of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the one who has provided the banquet table for us, who's prepared the table for us in the best way possible. He's given us all that we need so that we would never not anything. Jesus went to every extent to not only provide for us life, but life for us in the fullest of forms. You know what John 10.10 10 says, that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he invites us to his house to sit at his table to experience forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, and restoration. And he loves us unconditionally. He accepts us wholly. He provides security for us. He provides protection for us. He provides provision for us, knowing that we are a child of the King and that we are deeply loved. And because of God's love, and we know that we're loved, we don't have to be fearful or afraid. All we have to do is choose to receive his invitation. And it's an invitation that's available to anyone, any one of us. All we have to do is come to Christ. And just like the invitation of wisdom, the invitation of Christ is one of grace. God offers us something that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us freely. We just come as we are. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to dress a certain way. We don't have to wear a certain type of clothing. There are no regulations. There are no requirements. It is an invitation for everyone to be able to come and to join him. And like I said earlier, Jesus offers us the best. His table is prepared with the best. We have just to be willing to receive the invitation that he gives us. And believe it or not, it's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And that decision is one that term determines destiny. But see, not to make a decision is to make a decision, isn't it? I mean, to not make a decision, to put it off is to, in essence, make a decision. To make a decision to follow Christ, to make a decision to reject him and to reject his invitation. This is what I know is that Jesus came to this earth as the perfect son who would give his life as a sacrifice for all. He would take his punishment, our punishment upon himself. It wasn't something that he deserved. It was something that we deserve. But he willingly took that punishment upon himself. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And at that moment, our future is secure and our hearts can be healed. But what about the application of this passage for those of us who are believers that continue to struggle, that continue to struggle to make wise choices? We can't live the Christian life in our own strength. Impossible. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. Paul said it, and today we claim it. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The faith I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Jesus in us that helps us live in wisdom, in true wisdom. It's Jesus in us who is our righteousness. It is Jesus in us who is our wisdom. But the future of our life, the here and the now, as well as that to come, will be determined by the choices that we make. Will we trust him? Will we accept him? Will we accept 
the invitation that Lady Folly offers or we accept the invitation that Lady Wisdom offers? Would we be willing to give our life to Him specifically so that He can live His life through us? So I, I think the question today is, there's a choice. Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, both have offered invitations. Both have set the table. But the question is, which path are you on? Would you pray with me today? Very powerful passage of Scripture. Recognizing Jesus that um, what has been laid out for us here is something that is very visual. It's very understandable that in our lives there are choices that we have to make and the choices and decisions that we make determine the direction that we head. Lord, for those that may be here today that have never chosen to accept your invitation, what is it that keeps them from making the most important decision of their life? To, to not decide is to decide. And maybe there's someone here today that has never cho chosen to trust you. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, it's just as simple as ABC to admit, recognize your sin, to be, believe, believe that Jesus came, that he lived on this earth, that he's God's son, that he gave his life, that he was crucified, he was placed in a tomb, and he was resurrected on the third day. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf to see, to not only confess our sin, but to commit our lives to him. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. Today's that time. Today's that time. Right there where you are, you can just pray, Jesus, I just want to accept your invitation. I want to accept the invitation to follow you, to trust you, to give my life to you, to put you at the head of my life. And you can pray that right there where you are. Jesus, save me. Jesus, it's time. I need to give my life to you. I confess my sin. I want to place my faith in you. And Jesus, I want to give my life to you. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but man, you're struggling. You're struggling with wisdom. You can't live this life in your own power and strength, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you. Christ in you. In the quietness of this moment, just a time for prayer. Reflection. Thought. It's a time of obedience. A choice must be made. What direction will you choose? What decision will you make? Because the decisions of life determine the direction that we head. No way around it. Jesus, would you help us on this journey that we're on? Father, help us to be reminded of the power that we have with Jesus living inside of us, the power of the Holy Spirit, not to become overwhelmed. Father, to be encouraged 
not to become discouraged, but Father, to just be overwhelmed with a sense of your presence, recognizing that your word is a, is a huge tool in our lives for the battleground in which we face every day. I thank you for this incredible congregation that we have, and Lord, what you're doing in the lives of people for repentance, for brokenness, for reconciliation, for restoration. I thank you for decisions that are being made for people that are saying, I don't want to choose folly. I want to choose Jesus. I want to choose wisdom. Father, I pray today for those that may be in this place that have said today, I want to choose Christ. Maybe, may they be very, um, may they be very um, confident in coming to me after this service to say, Pastor, I, just, I, I want to make that decision to give my life to Christ. For those of us that may be wrestling with wisdom, help us to, to put away those thoughts of accepting the invitation from folly and saying, no more. I'm done with that. But Jesus, I want to be, be crucified uh, with you, and I want Christ to be inside of me, and I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can live in wisdom. As we prepare to close out our time today, Father, I pray that we'd be reminded that we are your ambassadors, and we, as we pray, as we get ready to walk out these doors, that that, Lord, that uh, we would gather around these school campuses to pray for our staff and our students and our families as they get ready for this next school year. Uh, Father, those school grounds are very important places for ministry, and I pray that for those teachers and staff that will be there, Father, for an opportunity of influence, as well as our students that are getting ready to go back, that they would see it as a place of ministry, not just a place of learning schoolwork, but a place of exercising that which they have learned and they would practice and they would live out their faith. I pray for Bobby and for these FCA teams that are out all over our counties that he's responsible for, that you would continue to bless him. Father, help us to recognize the importance of today not thinking about just tomorrow, but the importance of today, the opportunity we have to have an influence for such a time as this. Thank you for the reading of your word today, for the time in our service, for the blessings that you've given us. It's a great day. Help us to continue to keep our eyes up, focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray.